Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Now I'm going to forewarn you, I was talking to my wife last night. Um, normally what I do, uh, kind of my weekly schedule, I try to, I put the, uh, my sermon, I record it onto my phone on usually on Friday afternoon, so I can listen to it on Saturday. I try to listen to it maybe three, four times during the day just to kind of get it into my brain a little bit. Um, and I, I told her last night, I'm like, I, th- I feel like I need to listen to it again because I didn't listen to it as many times as I want. And one of the times I fell asleep, and she's like, you fell asleep at your own message? So I'm sorry. I can't yell at you today if you fall asleep during my message, I guess. Uh, the truth is, I was, I was a little tired. We got up early going to a cross-country meet. Um, I was tired. That's why I fell asleep, I think, okay? Um, but there was, a, there was another night this week I, I got really tired. Wednesday night, I came home after a long day, and I was really tired. Um, it was the first day that we had our kids midweek uh, for this school year, and we had more kids than I was expecting right away off the bat. Um, so it was wonderfully chaotic like normal. Then after that, I went on a little mini date with my wife, which meant that we went to Walmart and got some stuff. Um, 20 plus years of marriage, those dates are hot, man. Going to Walmart, it's awesome. Um, pretty soon we're going to be like doing tax and be like, this is a great date, hon. I love this. Um, but then I came home and I watched my twins lose the last game of their season. Now they're done. And by 9 o'clock, I was beat. I was mentally and physically cashed and I wanted to just call it a night. Uh, but I also wanted, you know, some of my, my happy food, which means cereal. And so I went to the fridge to get some milk out, and all we had was almond milk. I don't do almond milk in cereal, you guys. That's, that stuff makes, makes my cereal taste like trash. And so um, I'm like, okay, honey, I'm, I'm really tired, but I'm going to go to Quick Trip. And Quick Trip is, it is like every week there's probably one or two nights, 9 o'clock or later, that I take a, a trip to Quick Trip. Uh, it's three quarters of a mile down the road. I, was, I, I thanked Jesus many times when Quick Trip was built there because uh, I knew milk and oranges and bananas were going to be bought all the time. Um, so I went there and I got it and was, was just grateful for that opportunity. Like it, I don't think we realize how easy and wonderful it is to be able to go and get things so easily and quickly in this, in this day and age. We live in a really great time. Um, but there are there are things that come into my brain like what if, what if like a hundred people came into my house at that time of night? What would I do? First of all, I'm not giving them my cereal. <laughs> like I got PTSD from giving people cereal. When, when I was a kid, um, I was about 10 years old and there's these guys in, in the youth group at our church. My mom and dad would invite them over to our house afterwards. My mom would buy Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And I think she would even be like, Kellen, you can't eat this. This is for the youth group boys. And I'd be like, why do you not love me? And these boys would come over, and one of them, would, he would take this um, huge, like, popcorn bowl, and he would pour the whole Cinnamon Toast Crunch box into that bowl. And I'm watching, and I'm like, no. And he would eat the whole box. And so I think because of that, I don't share cereal. And I don't, <laughs> I don't share chocolate either. Um, but it'd be really hard to feed 100 people if they just came to my house at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. But then what, what if, like, 5,000 people came to my house? What if 15,000 people came to my house late at night? There is, there is just nothing that could be done for that. Uh, you, might actually ca- you might actually catch where I'm, where I'm going to be going with this. We're going to be talking about a story from the Bible today that is about feeding 5,000 people. 
We call it the feeding of the 5,000. It's a story that uh, Jesus and his disciples are out in the middle of nowhere. And they seem like, it seems like they're under-resourced. They don't have the means to feed this large group of people that's coming their way. But what the disciples did not understand was that Jesus was the great resource. They thought that they were under-resourced, but Jesus is the one. He's got all the resource that we need. And so, as we're continuing this series, I Love My Church, uh, we started it last week. We're in the, in the second week right now. And we want to consider what is it that makes Central Christian Church a special place to be. And, and probably even more so, what is it that is going to continue to make us the church that God is calling us to be? As a church, do we faithfully believe that we have everything that we need in Jesus? Do we believe that we truly can be a church that helps to provide healing and blessing to people even when we feel personally inadequate to provide in such ways? I think it's really possible, as you're going to hear in this story with the disciples, they felt under-resourced, and I think it's really possible for us in our own, in our own ways to feel like we're under-resourced as individuals, as families, even as a church family. We feel, man, like how are we supposed to do the big tasks that God's calling us to do? The answer is we have a resource that can, that can give us things in ways that we never could imagine. And so let's look at this in John chapter 6. Starting off right away in verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus called to the far shore, uh, crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have even a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five five small barley loaves. I've had trouble saying that all week. Five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I want you to get this out of the way. Five little loaves of barley bread and two little fish. It is not much food. You know, I think about sometimes my wife makes banana bread. It's the greatest thing in the world. I love banana bread. And she makes, sometimes she'll make them in these larger loaves. And then she's got this one pan that has four little loaves for it. And every time she makes one, the ones in the little loaves, I'm like, well, I'm eating at least one of those. They're like the size of a big muffin. And I'm thinking if, if these are five little loaves of bread, that's probably about the size that we're talking. This little boy has five loaves of bread. He's got two little fish. These, there are people uh, who always debate this story and all the other miracle stories in the New Testament. They'll debate it and be like, there's no way that, there's no way that Jesus fed 5,000 people 
with just five loaves of bread, two little fish. And so what they'll try to do is, one of the explanations that people will try to say is they'll say, well, Jesus, after he saw this little boy being willing to give his food, he made a, a story about it for all the people. And was like, this little boy is willing to give. You should be willing to give the food that you have. And then they all shared their food. That's not in scripture. That's not what we read. People will always try to, to, to take these miracles and make them really small so that they're not even miracles. Something happened out here. Jesus fed a bunch of people with very, very little food. He had a small amount of food. He broke it apart. And miraculously, he kept breaking it apart and he just kept on handing it to people. I, this is one of those ones that I really wish I, saw, I could see this one firsthand. Like, does he just have one loaf and he literally just keeps breaking it and it just like, it just forms again. Like, that, I, I, I'm interested in that. Or does, does like, he's got these five loaves and all of a sudden, he's just pulling another loaf from behind him. I don't know. But it's a really, really cool concept that he just keeps feeding stuff. And Crystal and me, we had a funny conversation this week. Um, most of you know that we have a little snack room in our, we got the coffee room and there's coffee and there's snacks in there. And it's, it's an awesome thing that uh, some of our difference makers do for, for us. They, they make us snacks. Because here's the thing. I've seen how the kids go in there. Some of you need to feed your kids at home. And by some of you, I also mean myself. Because <laughs> my kids are like, the first ones in there get snacks and it's, they just take it off. It's just like they're just thrown in their mouth and there's crumbs all over. Oh, it's crazy. But Crystal, Crystal is telling me, she's like, I don't know what those snack people are doing, but it's like the food is just multiplying every week. We are having many miracles every week here at church, you guys. Because we're feeding, you know, the 250 or so people that come to church with snacks and it just, it just keeps on coming. It's awesome. This is my shameless plug to say we need more difference makers as snack people, just so you know, okay? Um, so if you're willing to make some snacks on Sunday mornings, go see guest services. They'll get you hooked up because, uh, man, we need snacks because there are some hungry kids and adults in this church. This might be one of the most popular miracle stories in Scripture. Obviously, you've got the resurrection. The resurrection was a big deal. A guy dying and coming back to life, that's a big deal. There was also the, the virgin birth. That's a big deal. But what's interesting is this is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that is in all four Gospels. This is the only other one. There's something about this story of the, of the feeding of the 5,000 that every single one of these four Gospel writers, they thought it was important enough to put this in their Gospel. And, and I'm thinking... They don't think that this is small enough, it's a, it's a small enough phenomenon to be just explained away as, as anything but an actual miracle. Now we call this the feeding of the 5,000. A lot of you, who, if you've been in church for a long time, you know that the number is not 5,000. Uh, John right here, he, he's writing that, he actually says it was 5,000 men who were in this group. Uh, Matthew adds a disclaimer to it when he says there were 5,000 besides women and children. See, at the time that they would count family units they, they would count how many men there were. They would count it by the fathers. And so typically when you hear about populations back in, in New Testament times, they would just refer to how many men there were. And so the truth is most Bible scholars, they're saying in this crowd of people, it was probably more like fifteen to 20,000 people that were in this crowd that were being fed by Jesus. It's a lot of people to feed. Tonight we're going to, like you just saw up there uh, during the, the loop, we're asking everybody to come back for, for a little meal. We're going to also be sharing uh, our vision as a church. Uh, we're in this capital campaign right now. We want to, we want to share vision of, of where we're going as a church. And, 
And honestly, our, our biggest thing is we're asking everybody, we're asking for 100% participation in some way in this church of seeing this church get to doing everything that God wants it to, to do in this community. And so we're inviting you to come back 4 o'clock, have, have a little meal. We're going to have some worship, share vision, have a meal. Um, but here's the thing. When you bring a lot of people in the room, it is hard to figure out how much food to make. It's way easier if you got Jesus there and you just have one little meal and he just keeps giving. It's a way easier thing. So please come tonight because we're going to have enough food. Come and eat. But here's the thing. The disciples' initial reaction to their dilemma was not to look to the resource of Jesus. Their initial reaction was to look to logic. It wasn't, it wasn't hey, we see a problem. Let's look to Jesus. What's his answer? It was, okay, logically, how are we going to figure this out? I want you, we're going to review a little bit what was happening leading up to this mountainside moment. In John chapter 5, Jesus had healed a man who, who couldn't walk. He was an invalid. Couldn't walk for, I don't know if it was from birth or for, it was for years and years and years, though. He couldn't walk. And Jesus said, rise and be healed. The guy picked up his mat and walked away. It actually, that story always reminds me of, I, there was this movie back in 1989 called The Dream Team. And it was about four guys that were in a mental hospital. And they went out for one day out in New York City with their therapist and they got lost or something. And, but I remember one part of the movie, uh, this guy named Peter Boyle, he played the dad, Raymond's dad on Everybody Loves Raymond. And he was one of the mental patients. And he, uh, he was walking down the hall of this hospital talking to somebody. And he walks by a guy laying on a gurney. And as he walks by this gurney, he just, this Peter Boyle's character, he thought he was Jesus. And so he's walking by this gurney and he just says, rise and be healed, my son. And he keeps walking. And then you just see in the background, this guy gets up off the gurney and he falls flat on his face. It's literally the funniest thing I think I've ever seen in a movie in my life. Now when Jesus says, rise and be healed, my son, people actually get healed. And, and what happened was in John chapter 5, we're seeing this man get healed, we're seeing other people get healed. And, and it, it actually happened on the Sabbath day and, and the Pharisees, they were getting mad at Jesus. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? And so Jesus gets away. But now people, the, the, the story is out. Jesus had told this guy that, that, that he healed, hey, don't go and, you know, maybe don't tell anybody. He goes and tells everybody. And now the word is getting out that this guy, Jesus, he can actually heal people. So as they're sitting on this mountainside, Jesus looks out and he sees this massive crowd coming towards him, fifteen to 20,000 people strong. And it's at this point that Jesus decides to turn to one of his disciples and to test him. And he looks at Philip and he says, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He didn't, he didn't think he was going to buy bread. He was just testing Philip. Like, what's Philip going to say about this? Is Philip going to look to me or is he going to look to logic? You see, and I think this story is not about the 15,000 or so people that are coming up this mountainside. This story has less to do with the crowd and more to do with how Jesus is trying to increase the faith of his disciples. He's putting them in a situation where you don't know what to do. There, there is no answer. There is, there's no way that you're going to buy the food for all these people. What are you going to do? Are you going to look, are you going to, look to me or are you going to look to logic? He's actually testing Philip here and he's saying, dude, you have, you have seen everything that I've been doing. You've seen me heal this guy who hadn't been able to walk for his whole life. You saw me heal a little tiny boy who was in Capernaum while I was 25 miles away in Cana. I just spoke the words and that kid was healed. 
You've seen it happen. Now in this situation, who are you going to turn to, Philip? What are you going to look to? At some point, Jesus wanted his disciples to realize that he was the only resource that they were going to need in doing God's work, especially for the time when Jesus was going to go, go away. But instead of seeing Jesus as the resource... Again, Philip did what a, what a lot of us as adults do. He did what he had been doing his whole life growing up. He, he trusted in his logic. M me, as a man, I, I don't think there's anything that I do that isn't logic-based in some way. Even the things that I am, I am doing a little bit by faith, if I feel like God's calling me to something, I will logically think through it like, okay, if, if, if you're going to ask me to do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out all the ways to make it happen so that you don't make me look like a fool. That's crazy, Right? I live in a household of, of women, and they typically, they tend to go a little bit more on feel in things sometimes. And maybe, uh, maybe us guys, maybe we think too logically with our heads. I don't know. But in this situation, if Jesus has a solution already, no solution I come up with is going to work out better than his. Can I tell you how hard that is for me to get in my brain sometimes? If Jesus has a solution already, it is going to be way better than what I come up with. God works in the supernatural. In fact, for God, the supernatural is not the supernatural. It's just the natural. We're talking, about, we're talking about the one who created the world out of nothing. How is anything supernatural for him? It's just natural. He just does what he wants to do. How can we believe that, that we're going to have a better plan than what his plan is for us? Philip got to thinking, and that was actually his problem. When Jesus asked him this question, where am I going to buy this food? He got to thinking. He decided that Jesus was looking for a black and white answer. Okay, where are we going to buy this food? Well, there isn't a place, Jesus. And so he says in verse 7, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. I want to ask you, was Peter, or was Philip wrong about this? Was he wrong that it would cost that much money to buy that much bread? No, he was completely right. The thing was, is Jesus wasn't looking for the black and white answer. Jesus wasn't looking for him to just logically look at this. Jesus is like, you've got the Son of God right in front of you. Figure it out, Philip. It, it's almost like being asked a riddle. Um, I looked at this riddle the other day, and it said, what are the two things that you can't eat for breakfast? In my black and white brain, I was thinking, uh, I don't know, cottage cheese and liver. Like, that seems like two things that I would never eat for breakfast. I wouldn't eat for anything, okay? But the answer is just lunch and dinner. You can't eat lunch and dinner for breakfast because they're lunch and dinner. Now, you can eat breakfast for dinner, and you always should. Breakfast for dinner is the best way to go. Um, but in this situation, it's the same type of thing. Jesus is asking Philip something. He's not looking for a black and white answer. He's looking, look deeper into this. He's saying, hey, Philip. We are going to get bread one way or the other. How should we do it? That's the thing that sometimes we don't understand. When, when God's asking things out of us, he's saying, I'm going to do this. I am going to see that your neighbor hears about me. How are we going to do that? Instead, we hear like, how, you gotta, you got to go to your neighbor. I don't know. That's not, I'm not the one for that. It's probably just not going to happen, Jesus. No, it's going to happen. Jesus is telling us certain things are going to happen. We're going to get bread. How's it going to happen? And the better answer for Philip would have been this. Jesus, we don't have that kind of money. We don't even have a store nearby where we can get that much bread. But I've seen you do crazy stuff. I've seen you do miracles 
that I couldn't even imagine. So I'm guessing if you're asking, you want to give them bread, tell me what you want me to do. See how that would have been the, the right answer? But it's not the black and white answer. It's not the easy answer. Here's what I'm thinking. The disciples, for whatever reason, when this story came about in Scripture, the disciples were not yet at that place of trusting Jesus like this. Jesus has been trying like crazy to build up these 12 disciples. I think a lot of times the miracles were not necessarily even for the people that the miracles were be given to, but they were for the disciples to build and increase their faith so that they, they could then start a movement of, of Jesus that would get to us here today in 2023. That's what he's doing. He's trying to build their trust. And they weren't at that point right now. And here's what I'm guessing. You and I, we probably are not at that point either. We probably don't always trust Jesus as our great resource more than we trust the material things that we can see and feel and, and touch and smell. How many times has God asked me to do something and instead of choosing to simply trust him, I've gone into my logical thinking zone and I've decided that it just wasn't possible. I hope I'm not the only one that that rings a bell for. Uh, I, I hope that I'm... I, that I'm, we're all kind of in the same boat on that, that we've all messed up in that way. We've heard God telling us something, and we're like, I don't know, God. It's just, it's just not possible. We're in the same boat as Philip was here. Jesus is just saying, will you look at me as the resource? Will you look to me? Will you trust me for something that seems impossible? You know, I look at this story, and, and at least Andrew, one of the other disciples, he had a little bit of a, t a tiny bit of faith, I think. He heard Jesus ask this question to Philip, and then he heard Philip's response. And Andrew actually believed it enough to be like, well, maybe there's enough food out here. I'm going to go look for somebody. And he comes back with this little kid who's got some food. And he says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far, is, how far will they go among so many? Andrew believed that maybe if Jesus is saying we need to get bread for these people, that maybe it was out there. But then when he found the, the supplies to be lacking, he kind of lost his imagination a little bit. Again, he could have come over to Jesus and said, hey Jesus, I found, this, I found these loaves of bread and these fish. I am super excited to see what you're going to do with this. That would have been the right response. Just like when you and I, we bring the little bit that we have to God and say, God, this doesn't seem like this is going to do anything. Here it is. Do something awesome. Do we trust Jesus enough to actually be able to say that kind of stuff? But instead what happens is we oftentimes go into this place where we don't give anything of what we have because we see it as so small. Well, God can't use this, so I can use it a lot more than God's going to use it, so I'm going to keep it to myself. I don't care if we're talking money, talent, abilities, whatever it might be. We keep things and hold them to ourselves because we don't have this trust in Jesus that he can do something impossible that we couldn't do on our own. I love that Jesus is willing to challenge us and to make us uncomfortable, all in an effort to build us to a level of faith where he's going to be able to use us in mighty ways. I wasn't going to talk about this today, but it's been going on in my head for a little while. One of the things that we're trying to do with this capital campaign is we are trying, at the, by the, at the end of the year, by the end of the year, we're, we've got this kickoff offering that we're trying to, to bring in and honestly, our goal is huge as a church. This is church-wide. We want to bring in 400000 bucks. There's reasons for why we're bringing in that $400,000. Uh, part of it is to, to help kind of offset the amount of money that we put into this place to be able to get it, um, to get 
the savings where we need to be so we can comfortably continue doing ministry throughout the years to come. And I'm going to be honest, I feel like God is saying, just right here as Janesville campus, I think we can actually do $100,000, $150,000 of that. What's crazy about that is as a church, our end of the year giving offering as a whole church is usually about between that $100,000, $150,000 range. But I really truly believe that as God is working in us and saying, okay, 100% participation, what little do you have to give? I don't care if it's 20 bucks. What can God do with that 20 bucks and, and make it into something that we never thought could happen? I believe God really, really wants to do something cool in us. And here's the thing. Part of this is God's way of building our faith. Believe me, I am, I am not one of those people who you're ever going to hear talking and like giving is one of those things where it's prosperity. You give and you're going to get so much more back. You might give and it might be hard financially to give it. That's okay. Because sometimes what happens is it builds the faith that we need to be built in us. The things that we have in this life, they are not for us. God gives things to us so that his glory can be shown in the world. And so I think he's calling us to do something more than maybe we've expected to do. And so that's why we're, we're asking for you to pray and to listen and to do. As couples, pray and listen. What is God calling out of you? And again, God doesn't need our money. God can do everything that he wants to do, but sometimes he also wants to build our faith. To build our faith and to see that, God, yes, you do things that we never could have imagined that you would do. The problem is that we usually fall short of really believing that God can do things in us that are mighty. We see our material resources and we think that we see a limit. We see our, our skills and our talents, our abilities, and we think that it's too short to, to make anything worthy of it. Again, this is why we're asking for 100% participation because every little bit in the kingdom of God, it ends up mattering. And the things that God can do with the, the very, very little, man, he can do awesome things. No resource is too small in the hands of Jesus who is our true resource. I want us to believe that. Can we believe that not, there's not a resource too small for him to do something with? I think when we come to the place where we say, hey, Jesus, I got this I got these five little loaves of bread. I got these two fish. It's not much, but it's all yours. When we are willing to do that, it's going to astound us when we see God do things in our community, in our church, in our home, in our workplace, in our neighborhood. When a whole church comes together and everybody is participating in every small way that God wants us to participate in, that is when revival in the church actually happens. That's when people who didn't know Jesus get to hear the name of Jesus. That's when we are actually going out there and we're making the name of Jesus known to people who don't yet know it. When you go into your home and you say, God, I don't have the capacity in me to lead my kids and to lead my spouse in a way that, that you want me to. I don't have it on my own, but here's the little I have. Lord, take it and, and magnify it. And that's when we start to see entire households transformed for Jesus. Just because something seems impossible doesn't make an excuse for us not to go forward. Jesus is not asking you to do anything by yourself. He's asking you to trust him enough to let him do the things through you. That's what I love about following Jesus. He has never once asked me to do it alone. He's always the one that provides the power, the might. Jesus wants his church to be a church that has a never-ending resource 
for meeting the needs of the people who are around us who are far from God. And Jesus is that resource. Jesus wants each and every one of us to have the resource that we need in our homes to, to build our homes in a way that it's following after Jesus. And Jesus is that resource. I am not that resource. And you know what? We get really, really tired when we start to think that we are the resource for that. But Jesus is the resource. Are you trusting that even in your small, somewhat insignificant life, in your small, somewhat insignificant sphere of influence, that Jesus is capable of doing anything that it is that he wants to do? I love what Matthew 19, 26 says. Most of us have probably heard this passage. It says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus fed 15,000 people, not just 5,000, with a very tiny amount of food, barely enough for a dinner. He started a movement of faith that started with 12 of his close buddies, and he built them up in such a way that now billions of people have chosen to follow that same way. It started from little, and it became something big. He took your brokenness. He took the worst of your sin, and he redeemed it by going and dying on a cross, dying a death that he didn't deserve because we actually were the ones that deserved it. And he took all of that sin and he redeemed it for us. He did something by making us righteous with God in a way that we can never do on our own. What I'm asking you today is what is God actually asking you to believe in him for? Are you praying and asking God, hey God, what is, the, what is the thing in me? I, what I love about the idea of getting into this habit during this capital campaign of, of, of praying and listening, asking God to, to show us what he wants us to do, this should become a life, an everyday life habit for us. God, what is it today that you want to do in me today? God, I pray as I walk by different people throughout this day, show me the person that you need me to pray for. Show me the person that you want me to talk to. God, I'm going to give my little self to you right now and I'm going, to, I'm going to say, Lord, do whatever big thing you want to do with it. Are you praying and, and then are you listening to God for what he is asking you to do? Are you willing to do those things that he's asking you to do? Now, here's the thing. If right now you don't know what the big thing is that God's asking you to do, that is 100% fine. There's probably most of us who are like, I don't, I don't know what the big thing is that God's asking me to do, but my question is this. Are you willing to start looking to Jesus instead of looking to yourself? Look into the great resource of Jesus rather than look into your own logic. Because I believe when we start to look to Jesus and not ourselves, all of a sudden this door gets opened that we didn't even know was there. Are you willing to pray and open that door? And then maybe walk through it. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.